Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Javon from Jamaica, and you are listening to the Haitian Freethinkers Radio Show. Good morning, everybody. This is the Haitian Freethinkers Radio Show, and my name is Reggie. Uh, you are listening to uh, our interview today, which will be with Dr. Gertrude Albert uh, from P4H Global. And uh, she's been kind enough to share her time with us. Today is Monday, March 19th, 2018. And uh, it's going to be a great interview because she's doing some awesome work in Haiti and in Florida. So without any further ado, let's launch right into it. Uh, Good morning, Dr. Albert. Good morning, Reggie, and thank you so much for inviting me onto this show. It is going to be a a joy and an honor to to discuss um, Haiti and education in Haiti. Thank you so much for this invitation. You're welcome, and thank you for coming on. So, um, for those people who do not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Dr. Albert, who she is, how she became who she is, and what you're doing? Yes, that that sounds wonderful. So I am an American. I was born in Haiti, age of eight years old, my family, uh, my mom and dad and my two sisters at the time, uh, immigrated to the United States in search of educational opportunities. And so from there, I grew up knowing that education um, is the foundation for change and education is the foundation for um, security and, and advancement in life. And, and so with that, I made a decision at 18 years old to go to the University of Florida to receive um, my bachelor's in English, evolved into me getting my Latin American studies and ultimately my Ph.D. in agricultural education and communication um, but during my time at the University of Florida, uh, I met with Priscilla Zelaya, who is president of P4H Global. And um, through our friends, we decided to explore ways of, of partnering with the Haitian people and, and um, finding ways of creating true sustainable um, changes within the local community. And that's where P4H Global was birthed. I'm sure that we're going to get um, into the, the details of, of P4H Global, but it was really just birthed from a, a, a great friendship that uh, sought to create positive change in the world. Um, and yes, that, that, is, that is me in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, so um, I see, I'm, I'm on the website right now. Uh, it appears that, you know, the University of Florida is, is, is very prominent in your life. You're a proud Gator. Oh, so yes. Shout out to yes. you. Go um, Gators. <laughs> so let's get out of right now <laughs> one time. Um, so your friendship with Miss Priscilla um, uh, started in and eventually P4H was born. And I know Miss yeah. Zelaya, is that how you pronounce it? Yes, Zelaya. So I got it right. So she's from. Yes, perfect. I think uh, was in Nicaragua, I believe. Mm-hmm. She is from Nicaragua. Her parents currently live there. Um, she is definitely Nicaraguan. 
Okay. And, and uh, the, the, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the, the really interesting, I don't mean to, to spoil the, the rest of the conversation and jump. Um, starting the end of this year, we are going to be working in Nicaragua, um, which is a really cool thing that we're able to do with, within Peace4H is using Haiti as an example um, in the teacher training that we're doing in Haiti as an example for for other countries. Okay, okay. That's awesome. Uh, so, let me see where can you... So, so, I told you about how I found out about you. Um, yes. Now, 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 like, a lot of people come from Haiti, they have desires to, to help uh, the nation or whatever. But what was the, what was the main... Um, I guess, was there something that caused you to just take it from just talking about to actual action? Great question. Um, well, the really great thing that was happening with Priscilla and I is that we were undergrads at the University of Florida, and uh, students at, at the university are really um, just – have this this great passion and and this great zeal and we are just maximizing on that passion and zeal within our hearts and within the hearts of the students around us. So we started off by saying, okay, the earthquake happened in 2010, and in 2010 I visited Haiti, uh, the country of my birth, for the first time, and it was 12 years. For the first time in 12 years I visited Haiti, um, and. After the earthquake, I was just really inspired by the Haitian people, and I wanted to go back, and I wanted to help. So um, as Priscilla and I were talking about it, we started talking about it around our friends, and out of nowhere, 19 University of Florida students in 2011 said, I want to go with you guys. If you guys go to Haiti, count me in, sign me up, I will be on the plane with you. And so because we had just this flood of students around us that said that they wanted to help out with us, um, we jumped on that and we were like, let's, let's make this happen. Um, and so in March of 2011, we ended up bringing um, 19 students to, to Haiti, but we, we didn't know anything about development. We didn't know anything about um, capacity building or uh, ways of partnering without hurting, helping without hurting. And so we ended up bringing over 400 pounds of clothes and food and shoes and all of these supplies to Haiti because that's all we knew. In, in America, if you want to help, donate your old T-shirts. And, and it's, it's seen as something that's really noble in, in America. And so um, our action, it was a very superficial action, which was getting these donated stuff. And after a week of passing it out to the Haitian people, we decided to sit down with some of the, the, the leaders in the community and ask them, what they thought about our our work, and they're brutally honest with us. They let us know, like, hey, um, you all hurt us way more than you helped us. Um, we met uh, a woman that sold clothes, and she was out of the job for the upcoming weeks because we came with free clothes. We met a man that sold uh, clothes as well and shoes, and, and he was out of the job, couldn't provide for his family for the upcoming weeks because of our generosity to the community, and and we just immediately, with the, the guilt and, and the shame that we were feeling, we committed at that point to say, hey, if we're going to do something, 
we've got to do something that really has an impact on on the community in a positive way, even if uh, a good chunk of, of America is, is um, addressing economic poverty with handouts, we've got to go against the grain and, and find real solutions to, to real problems that, that Haitian people are, are facing. So after sitting down with some leadership over the years, we were like, okay, um, how can we truly um, uh, challenges within the community and the community leaders said education. Nelson Mandela said education is the most powerful tool you can use to change the world. And they agree with him. They said education is, is, is the, the key. There are key challenges within education that we can very practically help invest in if we want to see changes in the country. Okay. Well, I think that that said it all. Um, I want to remind <laughs> I want to remind everybody that's listening live. Uh, thank you for listening live. You are listening to the Haitian Free Thinkers Radio Show. My name is Reggie. I have Dr. Gertrude Albert on from P4H Global, um, and I actually have my normal co-host James. Uh, he's listening, and uh, he wanted to say hi and uh, ask some questions. So, uh, James, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you doing today, Doctor? Hello, James. It's great to meet you. Uh, um, I just, um, I don't know if you, uh, I just came on the line in the middle of you uh, answering the last question, but um, I didn't get the okay. chance to hear. But uh, what motivated you? Uh, but prior uh, to going to Haiti, did you hear anything about Haiti to make you go there, or was it just you know you saw the earthquake and whatever, and you just felt motivated or something? That's a great question. Um, yes, the the motivation, yes, there was an earthquake, and I was blown away how within uh, seconds, 35 seconds, uh, 300,000 Haitians, allegedly 300,000 Haitians can, can, can die and lose their lives, how within those seconds, 500,000 Haitians can become injured and, and over a million Haitians becoming homeless. I, I I couldn't understand that and, and grab the intensity of that. But even deeper than the shock of the earthquake, there was something deep in my heart, deep in my soul that was was almost longing for Haiti. And even as I've talked to over the years I've been able to speak with hundreds of Haitian Americans and, and individuals within the Haitian diaspora here in the United States and I see this common theme of uh, people in the Haitian diaspora just having this desire to to connect back to their homeland. Our our forefathers um, fought for freedom. Our our parents fought for opportunity. And so many Haitian Americans feel like it's it's our time to go back and and fight for our country now. And so, yeah, even though the earthquake had just happened, mm-hmm. something deep in my heart was longing. I knew that part of my identity that I hadn't discovered was in the land, and, and I had to return back. Hmm. That's that's positive. That's good. That, that, I like that. That's a good story. Um, let me ask you another <laughs> question. Um, you was, uh, I'll, I'll pull a, I'm, I'm just coming up with questions as I listen to you. But uh, uh, I saw once a video. Um, I, I guess there was uh, uh, maybe some Chinese uh, investors, investors maybe down in Haiti, and I was just wondering because I know in Africa, um, the Chinese, you know, have uh, helped the uh, African people over there uh, a lot. 
And I was wondering, have you seen that over in Haiti at all, like Chinese or maybe any other countries? I know they have, like, the United States over there, you know, in the mines and everything. But besides that, do you see uh, other countries there that are actually, you know, trying to help uh, Haiti as well? Oh, that great question. Um, so you're definitely right. Even specifically between the, the years of 1915 to 1934, the United States invaded and occupied Haiti. Um, but Haiti as a country is historically sees uh, the international community coming in and um, operating in the country. In fact, Haiti is known as the Republic of NGOs because it has the second highest number per capita of, of NGOs operating in the country. So you've got the United States, which has uh, the highest amount of um, nonprofits and, and churches and missionaries and, and things like that within the country. You, ha- you see a lot of Canadians. I know I work with um, and connect with a lot of Canadians that have schools um, in Haiti. Um, I have met a lot of Cubans, um, and the, the Cubans are generally within the health field. Um, a lot of Cuban doctors come to Haiti to try to help out Um we also, I've met also some Chinese as well working within the, the, the community. Um, so it really depends on, on the lo- where you are within the country. The international communi- community is really heavily based in the West Department, so where the capital is. Um, but you definitely see um, their, their presence in the north, where Capetian is uh, arguably the, the second most um, looked at city within the entire country. Um, but, yes, yeah, to answer your question, all over the country, the Republic of NGOs, okay. um, they're, they're, the international okay. community is there. Okay, okay. Now, uh, I have one more question until I think of some yes, more. Uh, but before you, uh, before you got there, uh, before you got there, did you see, like, uh, like, the Haitian people, like, I guess, you know, just without aid, just doing it, like, I guess they had to do it themselves, but did you see them, like, maybe organizing together and seeing about, you know, having an organization that will, I guess, better look at the funds that get donated to them, so anything like, you know, like the Clintons and other things of that nature? Because I know they, when they're doing it, during the presidency and everything like that, there were some groups in Washington and in New York, they were protesting the Clintons. So I was wondering, are there any groups down there right now that are like, you know, hey, we want to get the Clintons out of here or we want to like do like the South Africans did, not, you know, kick people out of the country, but just basically tell the people, hey, if you're going to be here, do some real work or something. Are there any organizations like that? Oh, wow. Wow. Yes, so all all over Haiti, it it doesn't really matter um, what political side of the fence an individual is. I I hear all over Haiti, uh, Haitians are disgruntled and and have a lot of resentment towards the Clintons because of their foundation and because of um, the really intense history between the Clintons and Haiti. There are allegations, many allegations of um, funds being used inappropriately, of just like the the Red Cross. So many Haitians are like, please get the Red Cross out of here. How do you get half a billion dollars and, and build six homes? Um, there, there are a lot of disgruntled um, Haitians that are really just want the Clintons and the Red Cross and organizations like that out of the country. 
But even deeper than that, I see so many Haitians saying the, the same, having the same narrative of for years upon years, for hundreds of years, we see the international community coming into Haiti, pouring all of this aid into Haiti. Um, and yet, even though we're pouring this aid into Haiti, there is no difference in the economic um, temperature within the country. Even, um, I'll use Clinton as an example because you, you bring him up. In the 1900s, 1990s, um, Clinton, while he was president, he really pressed for um, a policy that says, hey, um, the Haitian people, if we want to help the Haitian people, let's give them virtually free rice. Let's let's lift the tariffs that are on us importing rice and, and make sure that we're pouring in rice into the country. And the Haitian people, they're resistant towards it. But if free rice, essentially free rice is coming in or highly subsidized rice is coming into the country, we'll, we'll take it. And so we see that after years, um, the rice industry in Haiti completely was wiped out because of this type of aid that was given by um, the the American people under um, Clinton. And so we see a lot of Haitians that are like, oh, please stay out of here if you're not going to really have a positive impact on the community and if you're not going to really um, help us create change and invest in our capacity, um, then we would prefer for you not to be inside of the inside of the country. Um, and the last thing I'll, I'll say about um, that is that even Clinton himself, uh, there are quotes of him making uh, formal apologies to the country. He, he said in one of his quotes, it may be, have been good for some of my farmers in Arkansas, but it has not worked. It was a mistake. I have to live every day with the consequences of the lost capacity to produce rice crop in Haiti to feed those people because of what I did. Um, and that was straight from Clinton's mouth in 2010, apologizing for the messed up aid that, that came under his administration. That's, that's 100% correct. Um, I uh, I want to say it on the air that uh, I sent you a note that I found the documentary on Netflix for those of you who are interested that's, that's dealing with everything that we've been talking about so far. And the name of this wow. documentary is called Poverty, Inc. It's available yes. on Netflix. And it, I think it all, it has the video of that statement that you just talked about with, uh, with uh, Bill Clinton admitting that, you know, he made a, a bad decision with the rice in Haiti. So um, for those of you who will listen to this uh, episode on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spreaker Radio, uh, make sure you check out um, that, that uh, documentary and maybe we'll revisit uh, that, that topic later on. But we have about 10 minutes left for the call-in portion. So we want to focus on uh, one of the topics that uh, Dr. Albert is really passionate about, which is education. So um, yes. one of the questions that I had was, what is education um, and, and, and why is it so important? Great. So if I were to be concise with that question, um, I would say that education is a system, very basically, it's a system of 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 gaining knowledge it's a it's a you've got formal education which has a system of formally gaining knowledge through classrooms you've got um informal education which is an informal system of 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 gaining knowledge which could be 
um, like through workshops or um, through organized um, but less formal systems of, of gaining knowledge. And then you've got um, you've got formal, informal, then you've got non-formal um, education, which is uh, a system of gaining knowledge on the day-to-day, on your daily basis. Education in in the whole is surrounded on this beauty of knowledge and gaining knowledge. And the reason why education is so important is because education places humans at the center of, of any type of development and of any type of advancement. It says that if we are looking at the, the greatest resource in, in any community, it's humans. Um, and, and through gaining knowledge, humans have the power to do in, in unimaginable um, things uh, because they've got a tool that really taps into their capacity and, and empowers them in inexplicable ways. Okay. Uh, I think that's very true. So as far as you know, what is the current state of affairs in Haiti when it comes to education? Ooh, all right. So when we're looking at formal education in Haiti, we see that there is quite literally a, a crisis that's happening within formal education. Uh, uh, according to USAID, um, we see that uh, that majority of Haitian teachers, 80% of Haitian teachers, any type of pre-service training, because Haiti is the, the Republic of NGOs, nonprofits and other organizations come in and they start schools, but they don't do their due diligence in, in getting qualified teachers to be inside of their classroom. So 80% of teachers don't have pre-service training. 25% of these educators um, haven't gone past secondary school. So we see that there's a, a shortage of qualified teachers within the country. And with that shortage, it really trickles down into the quality of education that students are receiving. Um, primary school uh, enrollment, it's about 75%. Um, but when you look at the um, average Haitian, that's about 25 years or older, that advertation has about five years of schooling or less. Um, and so it, it is, there, there quite literally is a, a crisis that's happening. We see that half of the adult population is, is illiterate in Haiti. Um, and we see that majority of Haitian students, they, they drop out before they even get to secondary school. And a lot of um, development scientists, they, they look back at the teachers. They say, hey, um, so the, the students that are, are able to afford um, schooling, they they can't advance if their teachers aren't qualified. Um, it's not only qualified teachers. I would say that the two biggest issues within education in Haiti is a shortage of qualified teachers and the fact that um, only 5% of Haitians speak French fluently, um, yet French is the language of instruction within the school system. Um, if you look at a lot of work by Dr. DeGraff from MIT, you'll see that um, there's essentially a linguistic apartheid that's happening in Haiti that's crushing the, the majority of Haitians that are monolingual, only speaking Haitian Creole. I, I just I just uh, heard about this uh, gentleman from MIT. I sent him a request on Facebook. Actually, I sent him a message hoping that uh, I connect with him so that we can talk about this um, language or apartheid because I've never um, heard it described that way, but I think it's a very acute 
uh, an accurate description of it. And uh, that, that's a whole other show on itself. So uh, the <laughs> next question the next question is, how did the current state of affairs get that way, as far as you know? Hmm. In, in my opinion, um, I think a, a very uh, significant part of, of the current state of Haiti um, is because of the government's inability to, um, to act in, in, and function in a way that a government should be functioning, um, specifically with education. We see in the United States, there's oversight from the, the Department of Education but when you look at the Ministry of Education in Haiti, there isn't that ability to provide oversight. And so you see the vast majority of schools aren't um, registered. Um, they don't have qualifications. The, the teachers, um, they, there is no governing board that says, hey, this teacher can't teach if they don't have any qualification. There, there's a lack of oversight from the government, from the Ministry of Education because of lack of funds, because of a lack of leadership because of so many different lacks, but um, the, the government isn't able to um, provide the oversight that they 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 should be providing. Granted, in some countries and in different contexts, you could see a pluralistic approach where it says even if the government can't provide um, the oversight, nonprofits in the private sector um, can step in and, and provide um, resources that the government is. Uh, unable to do, but we haven't seen um, the, a full functioning pluralistic system, educational system within Haiti. Well, there it is. Um, now, obviously, you're part of P4H Global. Um, I'm on the mm-hmm. website right now. But for those who don't know what it is, can you tell us about what are some of the goals of the organization and also, like, how can uh, those who are interested help in any way, shape, or form? Thank you for that question. So our overall vision is to redefine aid. As I mentioned before, um, a lot of organizations go into Haiti and they just try to um, bring clothes and food and shoes and other types of handouts in response to poverty, um, economic poverty. While there is a a role for that when there's a crisis, it is our duty to, to bring in these types of handouts because during a crisis, those save lives. Haiti is during is is currently in a development stage, and it's it's grossly inappropriate to bring the the clothes and the shoes and, and this plethora of handouts during um, this development stage. And so we, as a nonprofit, we say we want to redefine aid, and we want to bring about aid that's going to bring sustainable changes in the country. And we do that through two main ways: one, through impact trips. We bring hundreds of people to Haiti every year with us um, to um, talk about sustainable development and partner with students in Haiti. I mean, this past week I was just, I came back from Haiti with 65 University of Florida students, which was incredible. Um, So that's one part of what we do. But then the other part of what we do is teacher training. Our goal is to see 100% of Haitian educators engaged in a student-centered um, classroom approach. We want to really attack the the methodology that that um, Haitian teachers use in classrooms, um, because 80% of teachers aren't qualified, um, they they're using an authoritarian, uh, student-centered approach. Uh, I'm sorry, teacher-centered approach in Haiti, where it's just them talking and and them 
um, directing and using rote memorization and not really engaging the student and allowing the student to be a co-collaborator uh, within um, the learning experience and using experiential learning. So we want to bring about this 21st century engaging collaborative model inside of all Haitian classrooms. Um, and so that's our goal, redefining aid through impact trips and reaching 100% of Haitian teachers. If somebody would like to travel to Haiti, if somebody would like to travel to Haiti with us, we invite them. If they'd like to train teachers, we invite them. Okay. Um, I think that's, that's, that's wonderful. And the website, for those who are interested, is www.p4hglobal.org. Once again, that's p4hglobal.org. It's a great website. Miss Priscilla, as I understand it, data herself, and it's beautiful. And uh, you can find out more about the organization there. Um, I have about an, uh, one minute left for the call-in portion. Now, we may have some extra time, but uh, James wanted to ask you about security, uh, more specifically about kids being kidnapped. This was a problem a few years ago, but he wants to know, um, you know, are the, are the kids secure? And if so, how is that security, um, how is it done? Wonderful. So, um, you are definitely right that there there were kidnappings in the the past in Haiti. Majority of the kidnappings, however, were within the Haitian community. So Haitian, um, the elite, Haitian elite were being kidnapped by other Haitian elite and um, other forms of, of things like that. But there is incredible security within the country. I mean, we as an organization wouldn't bring hundreds of people to Haiti if there were threats of um, are individuals um, being kidnapped. Uh, there are precautions that you can take, uh, means think with your group and, and ensuring that um, you're not engaged in, in any type of gang involvement or anything like that. But even in America, we see that um, there are issues um, with kidnappings and, and, and gangs and shootings and even in Miami, people eating people's faces a few years ago. Um, and so Yes, there, there. Just like any other country, there are definitely um, some risks. Fantastic. We 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 have met our burden as far as the, the official recorded recorded time for Blog Talk Radio. But um, I can I can talk about this until the cows come home. Uh, <laughs> so, but I want to be uh, fair with your time. So, how much longer can can I? ask you questions and talk about education and et cetera. Um, please feel free to. I know I'm going to head out to an 11 o'clock, um, but if you've got more questions, I'd love to answer. Uh, okay. Um, I can tell. Okay, well, a little bit about me. Uh, if you have any questions for me, feel free to ask as well. Um, so I was born in Port-au-Prince, the south, the capital. <laughs> we talked about how Kapaisi is awesome. Um, I haven't... <laughs> I, I have, I haven't been there actually. Uh, I've only been as far north as uh, Gonaive. My mother's family. My mother was born in Gonaive. Um, oh wow! So I haven't been to Capaisin. So um, hopefully, I'm gonna correct that awful error as soon as possible. Um, but uh, I come from a, a situation where I was fortunate. I was part of the, I guess, middle class, upper middle class. Um, but even uh-huh. as a young person, I I noticed this. Uh, this uh, caste system, I call it, uh, with um, 
you know, light-skinned Haitians, educated Haitians, speaking Haitians. And uh, I hated it ever since I was very young. Um, um, December of 1988, I came to the U.S. uh, permanently. Um, And when I started going to school here, I was above uh, grade level for what they placed me in, which was the third grade. But because the way the system works here, they go by age, and because I didn't speak English, um, uh, but I, I felt that the education that I received in Haiti was was excellent, um, better than what was going on at the time in the United States, and I think it probably still is better uh, than than it is here. But education for us was seen as not just a vehicle to get out of everything bad that you can think of, but it was seen as like a luxury. Uh, a status symbol. Yeah. Um, and so I've been thinking about this all before we spoke. Like, like um, I think that mindset is still there in Haiti. That you know, I've, I you know I know people who have asked me for for money to put their kids to school when I know that they don't have much to go on. And I'm and I wonder sometimes is that money or that few dollars going to make a a great difference ultimately? Because mm. I feel like a lot of a lot of people just do it just to say that, you know what, um, I'm a good parent. You know, I'm doing the right by my child and I'm sending him to school. But uh, at the end of the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the rainbow, so to speak, if they're able to make it past high school and go to some sort of university, which is just as expensive, if not more than here, a lot of those people tend to go to other uh, countries. So... Just, just some of some some of the things I've been thinking about. So, what are wow, wow. I I think that that is, um, that is really intense. So, in in your, in in your estimation and in your experience, what would you say, with all of that in mind, is the key challenges within Haiti at this point? The key challenges that are hindering the country from really developing. I think I'm. I'm ask, I believe uh, that we need, we need a total destruction of the state of mind of the Haitians. Um, I agree. I'm asking. I agree. What What I'm talking about is, um, just like in 2010, we suffered a horrible natural disaster. I want to um, resent the idea where my idea is this. So we have authoritarian. Perspective, like you said, when the kids go yeah. to school, it's the teacher. It's a top-down approach. I want to reverse it from a bottom-up approach, and wow. that is, it's it's an anathema to the Haitian culture because it's like, um, I'm the gumun you're the team on, like, like excuse me, like really, but I remember seeing some of the pictures that you showed, like the the the, the almost youthful exuberance that these kids have, um, yeah. get. Um, worn down by the realities that they face because they see that their parents are struggling and then as they become teenagers they have to face the uh, the realistic, realistic perspective that they can't pursue this romantic dream of being formally education, formally educated and, and when Haitians talk about educated it's mostly a um, French based um, look at me I'm a engineer, I'm a doctor. I mean, 
from from my experience, the patients only want you to be four or five things: doctors, lawyers, engineers. Um, that's that's mostly it. To me, that's not education. And we um, have we have a golden opportunity with technology, where we can um, disseminate um, information um, that is very basic. But I think our priority should be to have an autodidactic um, Mm. philosophy. That is to say that um, I'm giving you some basic building blocks in order for you to solve your own issues. And a lot of the issues that we have have been solved by other people. So why not us? my My last time I went to Haiti, I saw things that have very basic solutions, and I kept asking my uncle, why not, and why not? And my uncle would say um, something to the effect that the people have a very narrow-minded, selfish attitude because they're very cynical. It's very, it's, it's very hard to, to have them to think like a, like a group because they've been done wrong so many times by so many people. Well, and, and from my perspective, it's kind of like, why are you waiting with for like a like a like a savior, I think we have a savior complex. You know, why are you waiting for like a like a Aristide type savior or whatever right. when you can do some? I'm talking about very basic things. For example, um, my my uncle lived in Tabar, which is a town up the hill, like you go to Kinskoff in in Port-au-Prince. And if you remember that road, there's very few access roads. You know, if, if the car goes right you're going to go down to the ravine. So there's, not, there's no barriers to keep accidents from going down to the ravine. And when I was growing up in Haiti, those ravines were more or less vacant. But because of the mass exodus into the city, a lot of people are building into the ravine. So they're, all their lives are in danger from mudslides, wow. um, from, from cars careening off, you know, from a, a, a terrible accident. So to me, a simple solution would, would be to take an old broom, take some sand, maybe even some, some faka, put it in there, and space it out every five meters. So hopefully, wow. you know, if, if an accident comes, you know, it could kind of, you know, repel the vehicle from going down the ravine and ending people's lives. To me, that's a simple solution. I'm not an engineer, wow. but I, I'm not an engineer, but I can tell you that when people build houses in Haiti, from my experience, they don't build the road wide enough, and the implications of that is that when people are, are driving, it's not a two-way traffic. One car has to scoot to the side and let the other car go, and so um, emergency services cannot get to um, people if they're having um, emergencies. So I asked myself, you know, why, is it, why are the Haitians not implementing these very simple solutions? And my answer is that um, like most people in other places, including the United States, if you are worried about where your next meal is coming from, because I really believe in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. then you you don't you don't practice thinking long term. In other words, you're not you don't have the ca- capacity or the or capability to think about twenty years down the line. Um, so you're not it, it really be, becomes part of your every part of your fiber to think short term. Um, wow. And therefore, 
there is no tomorrow. That's why they don't they don't have the patience to plant the trees because even though they know that it's going to cause an ecological disaster, they need the shabon today tonight to to make that labui because there's no there's no uh, alternative. You know, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to move my soapbox here, but I think no, it's true. Yeah, it, you are you. I couldn't agree more with you. But but I think the challenge is in in the people themselves, where like um, there's a pride for aspect to I think all of us, but I think it's very prevalent in Haiti that where they they'll receive you like oh um, at the same time they they kind of worship the outsider the blanc, but at the same time some people might be like, who are you to tell us what to do? Wow, I, I, I've had that reaction too like. Um, you know, like, it's kind of like you're embarrassing us. We know it is the way it is, but it's kind of like you're showing us out type of thing. So um, I, I'm calling for a total change. Um, wow. But that change has to be a little bit, um, has to be uh, receptive. And I think the way it's going to be received is by showing through action that it can be done, you know, and yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to cost a lot of money. Um, you know, what you guys are doing is, is wonderful. I did not know that a lot of the teachers were not qualified. Um, it yeah, doesn't no, surprise no. me. It doesn't surprise me because there's no real infrastructure to support them. Uh-uh. There is little to no tax base, first of all. You're right. Um, so, the, in fact, the richer you are, the less tax you you pay. You're right. Um, I've heard horror stories about the the state telephone company charging people monthly bills even though they don't have service because if they dare cut the service, they will not get it um, back for years out of spite. I mean, there's so many Mm. stories that create that um, cynical Haitian. And, you know, for most Haitians that I know, they dream about going elsewhere because they think that that's really... Uh, they're only hoping. So education then becomes a vehicle to go elsewhere. Um, and also, I think another thing that was very damaging to the to the spirit of the educated Haitian is when Papa Doc was in power, the father, not the son, um, he went after a lot of his opponents, which were the quote-unquote educated elite. And that class of individuals are probably in their 90s, uh, maybe in their 80s. And they're in, in Canada. Wow. They've made a lot of they made a lot of uh, contributions there. They're in France. They're in everywhere but in Haiti because they couldn't risk speaking out against the government. So anyway, wow. so <laughs> it's a lot. Oh my goodness! But I I think that I definitely I most definitely agree with you in that there's got to be a paradigm shift within the mentalities of the Haitian people. My dad was actually just telling me that when I was in Haiti this past week, he said, it all begins in the mind. It, it, we can try to fix the exterior, try to say, Hey, let's build and paint stuff. But if we don't change the mind, the mind controls everything in Haiti. Yeah, there you go. So, um, but again, I don't know how receptive that's going to be received. How well it's going to be. Yeah. Well, the good thing with Haitian people is that when you when they feel there's ownership, there's a lot of reception. So I think that once they buy into and buy into capacity development, there will be a lot of reception. 
Definitely. Reggie, I can't thank you enough for letting me be part of your, your radio show. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you for coming on. Uh, I know you got to go, but um, I, I want to thank you for your time. And hopefully we get to talk about this and much more uh, another time. Agreed and agreed. I hope you have a great rest of your day and hope you're staying safe as a cop. <laughs> All right, I'll try. All right, talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.